Craig, super excited. And sometimes I have to kind of get up my energy, but my energy is pumped now. I'm super excited to have you on this episode of Leadership Bites. Welcome. Hey, thank you for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity to, to chat about things that are very important to me. I think this is a topic that as I've become exposed to it, it's one of those things that got me in the heart. Just before we do, there'll be some people that are listening to this episode, don't know who you are. So just introduce yourself and then we'll, we'll get into the topic of the day. Yeah, man. Well, I'm from Southern Texas here in the US and I went off to the military for high level special operations. And then I did some uh, federal law enforcement and all in the service of my country, wanted to protect our people and our security and our freedom. And uh, now I, I run a nonprofit organization. So that's essentially who you're talking to. Okay. And just give me the name of that organization, because I think that's going to be the hint as to what we're going to get into. Yeah, man. It is called Veterans for Child Rescue. Okay. And its focus? Its focus is in exposing and eradicating child trafficking. Okay. And that's the big, easy statement to say, but it's loaded with a lot of emotion. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're talking about a, a global epidemic, a covert crime spree with okay. a lot of backing, major revenue. So okay. it's a complex issue. There's something about understanding who you are to help really understand your thoughts and your credibility that when you say a thing, it's not just a random statement. It's the character of the person that's saying it, which I think is relevant here. So with that in mind, and I know it's not about you per se, this is about the organization. Give me that journey. Yeah. Well, I, I grew up in Southern Texas and I had very loving Christian parents. My parents were very spiritually motivated and sincere people. And I realized only later that I had a very rare childhood and loving family. I assumed that that was normal and I, I would want that for anybody. But what I had was truly exceptional. And I see now that I was very fortunate that I genuinely had two loving parents and, and siblings and uh, my dad was a pastor of a church, and I watched him change countless lives for the better. I, it got to where later when I would come home in my adulthood, I couldn't take him out to eat anywhere at any restaurant without people finding him and hugging on him and begging his thanks for um, how he had impacted their family. So very, very inspiring you know, father figure to grow up under. I was not him. I was rough, tumble. Southern Texas boy, fighting martial arts tournaments and playing uh, football and uh, riding dirt bikes and shooting down by the river and and just Southern Texas rough boyhood. Then it went off. Yeah, the first oil recession hit there, and there was um, not nearly the work opportunities that there normally are. And I took that opportunity to go into the Marine Corps, to go into special operations. And then I got into the Marine Corps and I realized, yeah, there was something higher, something better, Navy SEALs. And so I got out and went into the Navy to become a Navy SEAL. And I became a sniper and got combat action and uh, started kind of making a place for myself there. I, I found that I could make a pretty significant contribution in special operations. It, it, it resonated with me and jived with me. And then I got picked up for the tier one level of counter-terrorist operations at DevGrew. And uh, you got to cross-train with your SAS, and uh, we won't talk about that, but great guys. Um, you know, they're, they're exactly like we are. They just have a different accent, and they drink different brand of beer and carry different brand of weapons. But otherwise, 
yeah, the same heart, the same observations of, uh, of what's going on in the world. You know, warriors are warriors around the world. They just want to defend their people and have everything be okay, you know. So once we started having babies and I realized that they were going to grow up without me because I was gone about 300 days a year, I transitioned into federal law enforcement so that I could still make a contribution to our security, but be home more, have more of a presence as a, as a father, the way that I had. And so I did five years of federal law enforcement and then ended up blowing the whistle on some major corruption there in the federal air marshal service, a guy that had come from the FBI and I reported him and I got a master class education on, on uh, retaliation, federal retaliation to protect the corruption. And so as a national security whistleblower, I got a fantastic education on how this corrupt um, system protects their own, no matter how, how dirty. And with that opportunity, I went and began running high threat mobile security operations for our Department of State in different war zones around the world, protecting some, some big names, some important uh, diplomats, <clears throat> some of them fantastic people, most of them fantastic, really quality people. And then I ended up doing the same thing for our intelligence community officials in the war zones moving them around to their meetings and making sure they don't end up on Al Jazeera in the evening news in orange jumpsuit, right? Or, um, or worse. And then I did um, almost 10 years of film and television mixed in with my overseas contracting. So back and forth, I would go film some television shows, usually uh, firearms related television shows or counter poaching operations in South Africa for an animal planet series and things like that. And, uh, it I was think I finally seeing you on uh, sniper. Was it you were the? It was the. Oh show. yeah, the sniper, um, sniper deadliest missions, the history, and there's all kinds yeah, of so yeah. My, I'm sure. I'm yeah, yeah. My yeah. my lane in the SEAL team when I really thrived at was becoming a, a sniper, and I, I for whatever reason I cannot shoot basketball to save my life. I'm terrible. I mean, it could be a, a comedy show watching me try to play basketball, but I can shoot. And, you know, we've all, we're all different, right? We're all human sure. beings. Right? Some yeah. things you, people can sing. Some people can, you know, do different things. Some people are fantastic accountants and some people's brains don't quite work that way. For me, man, when I picked up a rifle, I could just hit things with it when no one else could. And uh, yeah. it was enjoyable. So I kind of made a name for myself uh, with the long gun, so to speak. So anyway, met some of the, the most famous and accomplished snipers around the world and have become good friends. But I learned from a friend of mine who had been in the CIA that had grown up in an area of Texas that I had just down the road. And he said, Craig, this area, the area that we had grown up is now the epicenter of child sex trafficking in the United States. And I'm like, what are we talking about? I mean, what is explain it to me. And he connected me to several federal agents that had been part of some investigations, raids and recoveries. And they were explaining to me that, Craig, we don't care what you've seen in the special operations against terrorism or, or anything else. What's being done to the children with some of these very strange, very dark groups is so sickening and so wrong. It's literally evil. And we we don't care what else you've seen. This will, this will turn your stomach and break your heart. 
And so I started learning about it and it did, it disgusted me. It broke my heart, but I'm not one to sit around and agonize over something. I'm used, my muscle memory is an action guy. I'm okay. If there's a problem, let's set about finding a, a, an effective solution. And I, I did my best assessment of it morally and intellectually. And I realized that child sex trafficking globally, but in my situation, I was looking at it in the U.S. here. I realized this is a domestic covert operation. Come from a covert background. I recognized it for what it was. This is a major covert operation with a major stream of revenue. And we did the research on it. We learned that it's a 38 to $50 billion a year enterprise. So it's a major criminal syndicate that's going on. And there are a lot of different levels of it. There's the gutter pedophile and there's the elite pedophile and everything in between. And so I just realized, my gosh, the American people can't fight a problem that they don't know they have or a threat that they don't know they have against their children. So God forbid, if you had cancer, if I were your doctor, you would need for me to let you know, here's the problem. And so that we can identify it and set about corrective measures. And so I realized the American populace don't even know this is being deliberately kept from the people because there's so many people that are involved. If you look at people like Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell that, that mm. cater to the global elite, there's every manner. Look, let's look at rock stars. They're making millions of dollars or millions of pounds or whatever it may be a year. And the hookers and blow doesn't cut it for them uh, for excitement after a while. After they've gone through enough fancy cars and yachts and trips and vacations, and it's, it becomes not so much about the, the extravagance anymore, but about power. What can, I, what can my money buy me? What can I do to people? And it seems to where so much of this about the children is not really about the sex as it is about the power and the abuse of other human beings. And so it's very um, painful for me to see where people's heads go when they can afford to do anything they want for long enough. And what a little doesn't do it after a while, just like a drug addiction. And they get off into this depravity, certain percentage of people, and it gets to where it's just dark and abusive. And I decided that I needed to do something to fight it. And I realized that the best thing that I could do to this covert operation that's causing so much harm is, and it is the fastest growing criminal enterprise on earth, by the way. So it's not in danger of going away. It's, it's expanding. We're talking to prisoners and prisons that are saying, oh yeah, I can't wait to get out because I want to start trafficking children now because there's so much money to be made. I'm like, my God, how did our society devolve into this, this, um, this, this, uh, what's the word I want to use for it? Just savage yep. abuse of our own offspring. Savagery mm. is really the word I was uh, looking for. Mm. So exposing it, I realized was my best contribution for starters to rally 340 million Americans to stand up and demand change with me and set about being part of that change simply to safeguard the children rather than to destroy them. So I filmed a, I spent three years filming a documentary Contra Land and people can watch that for free. It's a good faith public service alert for me to the people of the world. Here's what's going on. As much as we could share with you in a 90 minute documentary, here's what's going on. You need to know. 
and let's link arms because we're all in this together and let's start doing something to change this. And so you can watch it at ContraLandMovie.com. Please do. And it's not um, necessarily a, a pleasant revelation, but it is empowering. Some people say, Craig, I have to watch it in multiple spurts. You know, a lot of combat veterans and so forth, they'll go ahead and watch the thing all the way through. Or people that have dealt with this or victims, they'll say, yeah, I'll, I'll watch it all the way through. Some people that have never been to, exposed to this type of human behavior, like, I watched it in 30-minute segments, Craig. I'm sorry, but it took me, you know, several nights or several weeks to get through. I'm like, well, thank you for at least consuming it because now you know what I do and you can help me. And so I'm just grateful to you and I'm grateful to anybody who has the moral courage to just expose this and say, let's have a discussion about what's going on. What's the true nature of it? What does it mean? And what can we do collectively to change it? Because I don't care what animal you go to. If you find any animal in the wild that has cubs, you reach in there and you try to harm their cubs and see what happens. You're going to draw back a bloody nub because you're going to get nothing but teeth, horns, and claws. Why are we as human beings any less protective of our precious little ones, right? Our own offspring. So that's as simple as that. People try to politicize this and make it about this demographic or that demographic. And, and, and that's not fair to do. It's, it's not an honest um, assertion that it's, it can be segmented because it really can't. It, we're talking about humans harming offspring and it's harmful and wrong. And that's the end of it. Really. It's, it genuinely is. If we, if we approach this with intellectual honesty, we'll always end up at that conclusion. This is a human behavior that is nothing but destructive. It's not okay. And we must change it. Right. I'm kind of, uh, I'm, I'm kind of quasi kind of, uh, well, I say I almost have a laughing there, but with, with this, an, an element of anxiety because I've, I've got a sense of this. I have watched the documentary I, I, um, and I did find moments where I was just like, hmm, and I had to take a moment you know, go and get a cup of tea and come back and and, yeah. and start again. So I know what you do, yep. you know, and, and it's all about what you're used to and, and what you're seeing. And I, I've just made a note about what I was thinking at the time when I watched it, which is, and I'm sure I didn't come up with this, it's just come back into my mind, but society, I, I wrote down, society is defined by what society tolerates. Yes. And, you know, that's not me being brilliant. I think somebody else said it, but, you know, uh, any, I just Let's thought give you credit it. for brilliance anyway. Let's let yeah. Well, give me the credit for remembering it. There you go. Um, but society is defined by what society tolerates, and and that um, you know what what are we willing to tolerate? And one of the things I've was, was fascinated by is because I, I do leadership development, and I'm very much about you know why will some people almost follow a, a command or not? Why will people do things? And there's something about proximity. So the proximity to power is the closer you are the more likely you are to do it the further you are away the less likely you are to do it unless the sure. strong kind of shared moral values and uh, expectations and there's something about proximity when it comes to either the intellectualization of it or the emotional response to it and and i was thinking about this because if 
I knew that something was happening to a child next door, I'd be on it because it's next door. It's In the close. next street, I'd be concerned about it, and I'd probably tell somebody about it. If if you tell me it's going on in another city, poof, you know, there's a proximity thing going on here, and I don't know if you're that, right. You're right. Yeah, if I'm right, I don't humans, know if I'm right. I'm just, no, that's right. human nature. Right? Yeah, not my problem. It's somewhere else. As in, I get it. It's shocking, but it's not something I perceive and. And I don't know what the kind of uh, data is on society, where people come from in society, but I'm guessing if it was predominantly middle class, you know, to upper echelon financial kind of situations disappearing off the streets, there'd be an uproar. But as it's yeah. pr probably from people that are at the bottom of the financial food chain, it's again, it's proximity and Etc. And I don't know how 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 much we, we know about that, but I'm guessing you know. Yeah. A lot, well, a lot the of perpetrators that. come from every level, all right. the way from gutter pedophiles. You got local yeah. uh, gangbangers in in rundown motels that are abandoned. They're selling children from there, capturing runaway children, or getting them through other means, and all the way to the the global elite, the most wealthy on earth, uh, doing buying and doing whatever they want. So, but the children do seem to be those from the lower class uh, in, in their start in life, just because they seem to be more vulnerable, yeah. but obviously it's not exclusively lower class victims. And, but it is almost exclusively children who do not have a strong father presence in the home. Right. Okay. And uh, they, the predators seek out and are able to victimize the little ones who don't have a strong father figure around. So they'll, they'll target the single mothers, uh, e even um, official organizations like Child Protective Services. There's a cash incentive for them to take children from uh, their biological parents and put them into the foster care system. There's a big cash bonus for them doing that. There's no cash bonus for them reuniting children with their biological parents. So there's a, there's a, a, an inverted risk versus reward system, if you will. Yeah. Okay. There, that, that dynamic must be changed. And uh, obviously we do want children taken from abusive parents. If you've got drug addicted parents who are abusive and they're selling their children for sex or slave labor or things like that, then obviously you want the child to be removed mm. from that harmful uh, situation. But uh, many times the, the, the single mother is viable and loving, uh, but she's struggling to pay for, you know, so the care of her children. And she's yeah. an easy target, frankly, yeah. for yeah. Uh, a system that can capitalize and cash in on taking her children from her. So these are things that just are heartbreaking. But again, the, the pain the emotional pain for me turns to anger and the anger fuels my action to set about taking legal righteous action steps to correct it. So there's two things going on here. If I, if I've got this right, Contraland um, is almost for me, that proximity bridge. It's that thing that's saying, you know, let me try and bring this closer to you. Let me try and make this feel not like it's happening a long way away. But actually, right. like it's feeling, you know, I want you to feel it. 
in the privacy yeah. of your own home, looking at that thing on your in your hand. You got that phone. Back in the day, it would have been maybe a TV, but you're probably even holding the thing in your hand. It's real, you know, yeah. so you can you can have that. And so there's that element to it. Um, and, and actually, the word contraland just just explain what what, what yeah. that means as a title. Well, sadly enough, children have become the new contraband. A lot of these international or even local criminal syndicates will do whatever makes them money. A lot of them are sociopathic and uncaring in nature about any others. Uh, they care about themselves and their, their own wealth. And so they'll sell drugs, they'll sell arms, uh, they'll extort, embezzle, whatever they can to make money. And now that they've learned that they can make more money selling children than narcotics, then they, you know, they typically they'll sell a narcotic, sell a bag of cocaine once it's consumed, but uh, tragically they can sell a child repeatedly for years and years, as long as the child survives it. And uh, that's just, it's, it's abhorrent, it's tragic, but that's what is going on. And so there's, there's just a, a, a growing pervasive, culture of, of selling the children for that. So that's kind of what's going on there. So, okay. So I get the, the title, what that means that that's a part of what you're about is highlighting, bringing it into people's consciousness. And then there's the work that you're doing with yeah. the um, sort of the official services and, and just bring that to life, you know, how yeah. you're taking it to the people because you can't be everywhere. So right. there's something going on there about you, I don't know, upskilling, training, making them aware of it. Just bring that to life for us. Yeah. Let me first put a, put a bow on the, the title. So the children have become the new contraband mm -hmm. and the United States has become the new contra land. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. it's happening here. It's the fastest growing criminal enterprise on earth here. Mm -hmm. So it's all about, in my case, me, America, awakening the American populace first, thus the title contra land. So, yeah. What we can do about it is because I have been a federal criminal investigator, I reach out and talk to federal and local law enforcement units, district attorneys, and let them know my background and what we do and the investigators and the technology that we have available. And we run joint operations with them anywhere from five to nine agencies at a time involved in the Vets for Child Rescue operations. And we'll usually run several days of operations and um, different types of operations. One that you see in Contraland is a sting operation where we put ads out and let the child predators who rape an average of 70 children throughout their lifetimes, we allow them to come and try to rape a child and incriminate themselves. And the law enforcement, uh, once we've run our operation, we've completed it, I give a brevity code and law enforcement uh, take the handoff at that point and they process the perpetrator of the crimes hmm. from that point on. And we provide the case file information and evidence for prosecution. So that's been very productive, very effective. We've got a 100% conviction rate so far on our predators, our child predators. And we are conceiving and generating new operations now as we speak in multiple states around the country. Uh, realizing I'm talking about a topic that I really only understand from a distance, I'm just alert to the fact that you you may very well course correct me. <clears throat> but one of the things that I had a sense of 
was that you are obviously a finite resource and you can only, you know, you know, so you want this to go viral. You want people to, you know, say, watch this, watch this, you know, understand it, get, you know, get serious about it. But what I, what got me was there was a scene in Contraland where you were observing spotters um, who were on the border and they were all, uh, they were literally um, in, in a permanent state of residence and they were able to, you know, let all the relevant people know, no, you know, don't do anything at my end because, you know, there's some people hanging around or whatever it is. And that's almost a systemic level that I can understand your inputs, but the bit I couldn't wrap my head around, and neither could you by the looks of it, but is how are they allowed to stay there? Yeah. And well, that, everyone. And that's, and that's the bit I think that, yes, I, yeah, bring that yeah. to life. Every, every single human being in your military know better than to yeah. allow this to happen. Yeah. Every single human being in our military know better than to allow this to happen. Every single human being in our law enforcement know better than to allow this to happen. And I would say 95 or 98% of all of our citizens know better than to allow the enemy to come into your country and occupy all of the major mountaintops on the border, on your side of the border, on, in the United States, observing with binos and radios, observing our federal and local law enforcement and reporting to their cartel traffickers how to avoid our law enforcement so they can move humans and drugs into our, and God knows what else, into our country uh, uncaught, undetected. So the, the only reason that that can be happening is we are being essentially betrayed by our politicians in Washington, D.C. here. Uh, right now, our border is not being defended. Our law enforcement are overrun down there. I do ride-alongs with them. Many of them are my friends. They're confiding in me. Craig, we're exhausted. We've been running for months and months, and we've never seen anything like it. It's an absolute blitzkrieg invasion, and we can't even catch half of them. And almost all the ones we do catch are processed and sent right on into the United States. Illegal. So there's always been immigration throughout the history of mankind. As long as there have been nations, there's been people that migrate from one nation to the next. There's nothing wrong with that. There's a legal and careful and logical and honorable way to do that. Right now, all of that has been abandoned and there's chaos on the southern border of the United States. So I can't or I won't speak to the motives. I can just speak to what I observe and it concerns me deeply that there is an abandonment of control because there are victims on all sides, right? So many of the people that are brought here are being victimized. They're being raped along the way. They're being extorted. They're being uh, robbed outright. There are a lot of people that are being murdered in the desert that can't pay enough. But by the way, it's important that everybody realize that anyone cannot come into the United States through the southern border illegally without first paying the Mexican drug cartels. The Mexican drug cartels are that powerful. They have that much presence to where you're not coming in unless you pay them. So why is it being done? I think it's it begs some very uh, tough questions. It, it begs some very tough questions. We've got so-called leadership that won't even show up to the scene of the crime. They won't even make a leadership presence 
to, to have an assessment, an honest assessment. It, it just looks very, very bad. And it's deeply concerning. I love my country, but I love the, I can say this. I'm not trying to be some bleeding heart uh, softy. I can genuinely say this. I care about the people that are being victimized that are being brought from here. I've been on missionary trips with my father when I was growing up. I've been to 60 countries around the world. I realized we're humans are all the same. Essentially, where the cultures vary a little bit from here to there, but we all have the basic wants and same basic wants and needs. And I don't, it pains me to see anybody abused through a system of, of corruption and, and big government. You know, a lot of it can be called tyrannical at this point. Why aren't we being told the truth? Why is this so irrational and illogical from a standpoint of basic human safety and national security? Why is it going this way? Well, I'm tied in with a lot of people who are really legends in our national security space, people that have been in in decades that, that several American presidents over the decades have referred to to solve major national security crises. And I, I'm read in behind the scenes and, and I, I know a lot of, of why, but I think publicly it's important to just ask why, why is this happening? Why does it not make sense? And um, why don't we, why don't we issue out the, the corrective measures to, to, to correct this? Cause it seems like the, the answers are so simple. So if I've read you correctly, I think there's a little bit of wisdom going on here, which is you could say what these things are, but if you do, you, and we're, you know, we're in a very interesting place in society right now where there's not a lot of tolerance for gray. You know, you're yeah. either a liberal or a Democrat. You're either for Trump or against Trump. You're all, you can't say, well, <laughs> you know, and people don't, the media and so, and whatever it is. And the, the, the people that sort of like to stir the pot for whatever reasons, they don't even need the truth. They're not looking for the intent or the integrity. They're going to, they want a headline, they want clickbait. So it's a very difficult thing to offer your truth if you know that even if you're doing it, even if you're right, it can be twisted. Yeah. yeah. However, asking the question can't be messed with too much, right? <laughs> We all need to ask these questions. And the truth is a process, is it not? I mean, just because throughout history, when people have learned new medical advances and they're like, this is better. When we begin washing our hands, we have less infection. No, that's a truth, but it's not all of the truth. So if we're intellectually honest and we have integrity and we're seeking that knowledge, which is power, and when, when, when applied properly, our truth, as you, as you said, becomes closer to the truth as we add more pieces to it. Just like in in the intelligence community, if you take an intelligence assessment, it's more accurate if you have more information put in, just like the pixels on a screen. The greater densely populated those pixels are, the more pristine and clear the image. Imagine an image with only six or eight pixels in an entire TV screen. Well, you couldn't tell what it is. It's like a bunch of dots. But uh, with, with millions of pixels, then you see, oh, wow, it's just crystal clear, high def. I understand what's going on. So I think in asking the question, we need to, to here in the United States at least, well, I'll speak for, for our culture here because I'm living in it. We need to get back to the, 
the dedication of actively seeking out and researching and assembling the factual evidence to, to formulate the truth so that we do understand rather than just accepting what's, what's broadcast to it by, by entities that may have political objectives and may be owned by those who have strong motive, motive to uh, portray mm. uh, the situation in a certain way. Mm. So and we've got so a, a, a changing dynamic here in the yeah. United States where most people don't trust our mainstream news media anymore because we've, we've witnessed that yeah. so much of what they put, put out has, has proven to be factually the opposite of what's, what's true and what's real. Mm. So there's, it's a time of change here in the United States. So there's something here about data. There's something here about facts. There's yes. something here about visual proof in particular. There's something here that says, if all of these things are true, then why? Why do we tolerate it? Now, the, 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 the motivations almost, you know what? That's, can, I, can I enrage people? Can I, can I get people to a point where they go, I don't really care why you're going to explain it to me why are we doing this? Yeah. You know, it, it, you're, let, let, can people's passion or anger around it outweigh justification or explanation, but actually this becomes an intolerance. We can't, it cannot be tolerated is, yeah. is, is I think what I'm hearing. Well, there's been a falsification of science mm. in the United States. Alfred Kinsey in the forties and fifties was a science fraud. He spent many years Politicking, he went around from state to state. He went in every state, addressing the 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 well, the psychological healthcare system to normalize child rape, uh, pedophilia, and to our educational system. Our academia now has has followed Alfred Kinsey's falsified studies for many decades now, and our legal system has become tolerant of child rape, all due to one man's energetic assertions, repeated assertions under the banner of science and, and under his falsified studies that we now know. Dr. Judith Reisman was instrumental in extensive studies that, that researched and demonstrated that Kinsey's studies were falsified. Kinsey, as it turns out, was a a sadomasochistic pedophile and his own genitals were mutilated according to what he preferred sexually. So he was not well mentally and the facts demonstrate that what he was doing according to his own studies and the evidence surrounding him is he was paying different types of pedophiles, even in prison inmates to essentially rape children. And he was, he was logging any manner of flinching, convulsions, screaming, passing out, all as orgasm. So in Alfred Kinsey's mind, he wanted it to be orgasm. So that's where he falsified the studies because what he wanted to demonstrate was that children are sexual and orgasmic from birth. So him raping them was somehow normal and good. And what we have to do here and my personal opinion is just simply rally around the children and go, look, let's, you want to go to science? Let's, let's go to actual science. We know that the human brain, 
the outer cortex and frontal lobe are not fully developed until the ages of about 23 to 25 years. So can a small child advocate for themselves effectively against a full-grown predatory adult? No, sir, they cannot. They clearly cannot. They don't have the intellectual development. They are incapable. They are unarmed and therefore vulnerable. That's why it can never be normalized. And, and child rape can never be just another sexual preference added to any other form of sexual perversion because the child, in this case, cannot advocate for themselves. They are an unwilling participant, an unwilling victim, which is different than all other forms of sexual perversion that, that fully grown adults uh, commit with each other, right? <clears throat> we don't have a problem. What, what two consenting adults do together is not my concern. My concern is when you've got little ones that don't want to be there, man, and their minds are shattered. They're traumatized for life. Many of them kill themselves over the, the damage. They're not okay. They're not okay. So where's our humanity? Well, yeah. Why are we screaming about slavery that ended over 150 years ago here in the United States when we have statistically a greater number of slaves now, right now, today in the United States and other countries than we did in the, in the 17 and 1800s in the United States? It's, it's an unpleasant and unwelcome revelation. So people want to recoil. And I, I get it. I want to recoil from it, too. But if we, if we turn away, what happens to the little ones? Who defends them upon this mass turning away? You know, like the Pink Floyd song, let there be no more turning away. I, that resonates with me, those words on, on this subject. Let there be no more turning away. That's how we got here. You know, okay. we collectively don't want to address the repulsive yeah. and the painful. So that, that's, that gives the, the predators free run of the, the game field. It's, it's, it's impossible to win a soccer match if you don't even put a team on the field. So how are you going to, you know, and I, and I mean this, you know, cause I can feel that energy and that power within you around this. And this isn't about, you know, this isn't about your motivation. It's about your capacity to get it out. Yeah. And, you know, how, you know, so, and, and I say this, you know, you know, I'm not a big podcaster, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fellow doing his thing. And I, I thought, well, I'm going to do this because I think it's, it's, it's valuable to do it. But how, you know, considering you do have contacts that are significantly, you know, more than I am, you know, how, you know, is there a book coming out? Is there a, have you, you know, you're going to create your own podcast where you can make it a thing that gets talked about regularly and you get them. How are you, how is, because almost to me, weirdly, I've got this sense that, the marketing is almost more important than your actions because this is, you can do something independently at a local level, which is massive, but actually this is almost about, no, I need everybody to get annoyed about this. And that yeah. requires me going to the world. And I just wondered where you are with that or what you even think about what I've just said. Well, what, what I've observed since I founded veterans for child rescue and started trying to bring Contraland to the populace is that there has been, a disturbing number of incidences where various big tech companies have taken direct action to stop us from bringing this information to the populace. And we're talking about crowdfunding platforms, deleting and denying our account. 
we're talking about networks who refuse to air the production. We're talking about um, financial services trying to seize and lock up our funds without explanation or excuse. Uh, on and on and on. Six or eight major big tech companies I could go through in a, in a court of law and demonstrate how they've undermined our efforts. So we've got to get past the gatekeepers for whatever, you know, we could speculate on what their motives are and who yeah. all is involved in what, but we, what we can measure is their actions, what, what, what measures they took. So we know that there's an opposition to getting the factual evidence out to the populace. So uh, that we're, we're taking that into consideration, but we do have a very powerful production company currently formulating a television series. And we'll, we'll see what network has the moral courage to stand up in this time of turmoil and air this and to empower the people. God bless them, whoever it ends up being. Uh, but we're doing that sorting right now. So there will be a weekly pounding of the battering ram of truth on that gate uh, to, to crack it and bash it open so that finally the flood of information can empower all of the populace around the globe as to what's really going on with this. And we're also ramping up our operations jointly with law enforcement. So we've brought in, we've got over 100 volunteers as investigators from various agencies. So we've got 23 criminal investigators from various agencies uh, that have been vetted and are on board with a new full-time program manager and our investigations arm and, and 30 intelligence analysts, again, all from different agencies. Some of these are 20 and 30 year veterans from these agencies. So we've got a lot of manpower, but we've also got a lot of technological horsepower. There's a group in the United States called the American Industrial Compact. And these are, these are technologists who invent a lot of the intellectual property that run the tech that run our intelligence community, our Department of Defense, and to some extent, our aerospace industry. And they are concerned because in recent years, their technology has been going straight to China, which is a very hostile nation state to the United States. I expect it's the same for Britain. So they, they're not interested in having their powerful technology used against them and their families and their people. So for now, some of these technologists are withdraw they're withholding their IP until such a time as we can patch the security leaks in our national security boat here in the US. And then they can again, uh, freely share that, that new powerful technology. But meanwhile, because they know me and because I've been invited to be a keynote speaker at one of their conferences, they've kind of brought me in and said, hey, Craig, we, uh, we like what you're doing. Uh, we're with you and we will allow your team to utilize our technology for your counter trafficking operations to take down child trafficking rings. And uh, even before it goes to the NSA, FBI or CIA, and you'll be armed with anything that we can provide. So that's the, 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 the horsepower behind what we're doing. Uh, I would say what we need is greater funding to, to kind of, speed up the process because as a 501c3 nonprofit organization, there's just a mountain of, of government bureaucracy to satisfy every single day to make sure that all the wickets are sniffered, so to speak, um, and that every, every box is checked off. It's just 
it's maddening. Our, our attorney confided in us. He said, if people knew the requirements to maintain a national, nationally registered 501c3 nonprofit, literally nobody would do it. It's that ridiculous. Nobody would do it. And we're seeing that that is the case. It's, it's, uh, it's like it's set up to where there's no way that you can satisfy everything um, unless you just had an, uh, an unending supply of, of revenue. And so um, there's where there's a will and there is certainly the will here. There's always a way. So we're growing this. We may branch off into doing contracts where there's the will to take down uh, child trafficking pipeline members and rings and, uh, and expand on that side of it. But uh, our hearts are in it. And we've got a lot of counter-terrorist operators, a lot of intelligence community um, veterans and a lot of law enforcement veterans rallying together over one common simple cause. Let's safeguard the children. Let's put a stop to this madness, this runaway industrial scale abuse of abuse of the little, the most precious and innocent. And so that's where we're at. And that's how we're going to solve this to the greatest degree we can. It's a cultural change guy that we're really out to, to bring here. And there's a systemic approach. Anything that's done globally that's effective is done through a systemic approach. And we're aligning with people like Dr. Shiva who invented the internet when he was 14 and, um, you know, different, different people, uh, Jovan Hutton Pulitzer who created the QR code. Some of these intellectuals, uh, technologists, they care about children. Some of them have been victimized themselves. They get it. And so I think by good people who are intelligent and just have the basic moral courage to take action, we can grow this into a very powerful counter to the abuse that has sadly become so pervasive. So listen, you know, what I'm hearing here is you've got to be the woodpecker. You know, you just, you've just got to keep tapping and tapping and tapping and tapping and tapping and, you know, and get everybody else to kind of join that that tap i guess and um that, that's 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 massive you know um listen i could go on with you till you know till the wee hours of the morning and having a set of conversations probably that um you know nobody else probably wants to listen to right now but just on a personal note i wanted to reach out i think um this is this is not about you i know but i i just want to say you know my admiration is there I know you're not seeking that, but, you know, I, I admire that effort and uh, I, I think you're, what you're doing is admirable. Um, you're the right person to do it. That's, you know, says the man who knows nothing about this. But if I was going to, you know, pick somebody, it's somebody with the passion, the emotional connection and the background and the history to go with it. So that's, you know, it feels that, you know, whoever it is that makes these decisions about what we do in life, they put you as that jigsaw piece that goes into that space. And that feels like that for me. Well, thank you. I appreciate you expressing that. And it, it does feel right to do something here. It's not glamorous work. It's not fun work, but it's, it's, it's spiritually satisfying. I would say to know that we're doing the right things. Look, somebody has got to be the first one to jump on the grenade or pick up the flag and run straight up the middle of the battlefield and say, on me, let's go. This is not okay. And then other people, if they see you 
making advancements there encouraged and emboldened and is going, hey, let's not let him do it by himself. Let's not let the fool get himself, you know, destroyed for nothing. Let's, let's, let's follow. And so if, if that's a contribution I can make at whatever expense, I, I'm, for whatever reason, I'm inclined to do that. And I'm, and I'm happy to do it. It's a privilege. Okay. It's a privilege. Look at children. What have they ever done? They're innocent. They're the most in- precious and innocent among us. Yeah. If I didn't serve to defend them, then what was I serving to defend? No, I get that. I get that. And it doesn't take a warrior. It doesn't take a a hardened combat veteran to do this. I see little old ladies like precious little Dr. Judith Reisman with moral courage for days. God bless her. She just passed away recently, but she was a bold champion for the children. God bless that woman. Mm -hmm. And our own daughter, Aspen. She fought back and helped put nine predators away by serving as a junior decoy in our joint operations. So every human being has it within them to become a moral, um, moral hero, a champion for the children just by standing up and speaking your voice and finding how you can assert yourself as a citizen and say, look, man, this is not okay with us. And uh, I just wanted to get that out, Guy, because and to encourage and inspire people that it's not just me. I'm not uniquely qualified. Well, I might be uniquely qualified to, to lead this thing, but uh, for crying out loud, I think everybody can be as powerful in this fight because it's about culture and it's about turning this around. It's yeah. about reversing the damage, this cascading avalanche of damage that Alfred Kinsey and others started back in the 40s and 50s. And so that once again, one day, we have a culture that's very protective of the little children like it once was and like it needs to be again. Okay. Well, listen, Craig, I'm going to put all the relevant connections, um, you know, in the uh, description. I'm going to say thank you from me to you. I'm going to ask you just to pause with me for a few moments afterwards. But once again, thank you so much, Craig. Thank you. That's it. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please share so others get to hear about us and subscribe so you keep up to date on new episodes. Also visit livingbrave.com if you want to connect with me and find out more about executive coaching, team effectiveness and changing culture. Oh, and of course you can buy my book, Living Brave Leadership on Amazon. So on that note, see you soon.